Acts 21, starting in verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul coming, or saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen him with Trophimus and the Ephesian city with Paul, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted, one thing, some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought, uh, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what, you are, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. 
Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of them who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. The word of the Lord. As Andy was reading it, he uh, said, you know, he addressed the crowd in the Aramaic language, and there was this pause, and I was like, oh, are we about to get the Aramaic language on a Sunday? This would be great. But then you continued in English, so I was a little disappointed, Andy, uh, but uh, what are you going to do? I hurt my back and took some Tylenol and ibuprofen, so you can tell I'm maybe a little loopy this morning, uh, but we're going to... We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit speaks through that uh, uh, weirdness. So let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace, your goodness. Uh, man, we need you. And uh, we just hope that you'll show up in special ways and, and, uh, and reveal yourself to us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this morning I got up and I was thinking about um, the first time I ever shared my testimony uh, that I remember, like the official, right? The official, like, in front of the church kind of testimony time. And maybe you've had that experience, maybe not. If not, come talk to me. We can get that sorted out. Uh, And it was actually on a missions trip to Chinle, Arizona. So in college, on spring break, you know, like they do for good college, Christian college students, we went on a missions trip. And we drove down to Chinle, Arizona from Fort Collins, Colorado. And I think they had mentioned beforehand, like, hey, we might have people share their testimonies, uh, something along those lines. And so on the way down, I'm like journaling my testimony in the back of the car. Like, how did I come to faith in Jesus? And how did I get here? And um, just my story, right? And everyone has their own story. Uh, But then there was no like real like, okay, Jonathan's going to share his testimony at this time. So I didn't really know like, What's going to happen? Did I just do all that for nothing? Uh, But as the week progressed, we were doing like this sort of daycare children VBS hybrid thing. Um, I got asked to to share my testimony. I got nominated, right? We were nominating each other. And so it was pretty cool. I got to share my testimony. I was nervous, excited. Um, And then afterwards, my pastor, my college pastor was like, and Jonathan's thinking about going to seminary, right? And I was like, yeah. So it was kind of like this moment of affirmation. It was like a very uh, sweet memory uh, for me. Uh, and maybe some of you have the first time that you shared your, your testimony of coming to faith in Christ, and that's a, a sweet memory as well. Uh, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's an awkward memory. I don't know. Uh, but I'm excited for the life of Cornerstone because we have some testimonies coming up, uh, hopefully in today's service. Uh, and then also, my Sholly, shout out. I'm excited for your testimony at your baptism today. It's today, and we're doing it right now. Uh, <laughs> the dunk takes full. You didn't know it. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, and then uh, Jason, actually. I'm so glad you're here, Jason, because now I get to give you a shout-out. Um, Jason's uh, testimony is pre-recorded at Burger King. Uh, and so when we do his baptism, we will share that video. Uh, there's, there's no Burger King with the video, but uh, it's pretty exciting. So I'm looking forward to those. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting, like, uh, hopefully we're going to do Vaishali's baptism at, a, like, a river, um, and uh, Bernie will help with that, and, uh, and, you know, 
uh, Jason's was at Burger King and mine was in Chinle, Arizona. But you never know like where God's going to ask you to share your testimony, to share how you came to faith in Christ. It could be any place, anywhere. And so uh, we need to be prepared. And as we look at today's passage, we just read this passage with Paul, like it's pretty surprising the place that the Lord called him to share his testimony, right? Uh, in the middle of a mob. So chances are, has anyone here shared their testimony in the middle of a mob? Uh, that would be pretty cool. Uh, none of us have had to do that yet. But Paul's a good example, right? Because there's this very intense, high-stakes moment, uh, and the Holy Spirit comes in and does something powerful where he gets to share his testimony. It doesn't necessarily bear the fruit that he would have liked, uh, but God uses it, right? And God, uh, it's, it's in his word. Paul's testimony is in the book of Acts like three separate times. So for whatever reason, the author of this, this book, Luke, really wanted us to be able to tell Paul's testimony. I think it's a good example. It's kind of an apologetic, right? It's a, it's a living example of why to believe in Christ. Uh, but let's kind of look at Paul for a moment, right? He, he's come to Jerusalem. He's finished his third missionary journey. Uh, and he knows that suffering and persecution awaits him. Yet he goes. He goes. He stays faithful to God, and, and he goes. Uh, and and the, the local elders and leaders ask him, like, hey, would you consider, you know, going above and beyond to demonstrate to the Jewish members of the church, uh, plus kind of the Jewish community, I think, like, would you go above and beyond, take a Nazarite vow, shave your head, sponsor four other Jewish believers, and show that you really care about the Jewish law? Because if you don't, you're going to lose a lot of your credibility. Uh, and Paul does it, right? He realizes, that's a little bit more on me. Like, I don't feel like I have to do this in order to earn salvation, but I want to go above and beyond not to cause offense so that people will actually hear the true gospel message. So he does that, goes through the effort, shaves his head, goes to the temple at the end of his seven days uh, with these four other men, and then a riot results, right? Things don't go uh, the way he planned. Uh, and I just wanted to read a couple of verses here. I'm going to read like little chunks as we go through. Uh, verses 27 and 28. The Jews from Asia, seeing him, so seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, who are the men of Asia? You know, if, we, if you've kind of been tracking with us as we've been going through the book of Acts, right? Like, his first missionary journey, he wasn't really supposed to go to Asia, and so he didn't, like the Holy Spirit uh, shut the door. But then he came back there a second time, and uh, he, he's been back, and he actually lived in Asia for, for several years. And, it, and there's this verse that's like, all of Asia is hearing the gospel. Like, all of Asia is coming to faith in Christ. So he had a powerful presence. But do you remember what happened at Ephesus in Asia? Do you remember that there was also a riot? <laughs> Right, the silversmiths got really upset because he was preaching the gospel and it was causing them to lose business. Right? People are coming to faith in Christ. Oh, I don't need to do idol worship. Uh, and so they come to faith in Christ uh, and then they, they abandon the, uh, the, the temple of Artemis there. And so they start a riot. Right? So these are the same Jewish believers from Asia, from that area. So they might have even been at that riot. And they were like, oh, this is the way to deal with Paul. <laughs> Cause a riot. Uh, and so they stir things up. It's kind of an intense, scary situation. They want Paul dead. They want the gospel out of there. And remember, 
Paul tried to go in to the, the riot, right? He tried to go into, there was this big amphitheater, everyone was there for hours, they were chanting, 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 and people from inside the amphitheater actually said to Paul, they sent word to Paul, hey, don't come in, <laughs> because it won't result, uh, it, won't, it won't have good consequences for you. So he didn't go in. But now it's like his big chance. He's like, oh, I'm in Jerusalem. I got this, this tribune, this, uh, this kind of elected official, and I have his soldiers, about 200 soldiers. I'm going to share the gospel now, right? Like, this is, this is going to happen. Uh, of course, he's just gotten beaten up, too. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. There's like this symbolic imagery there. The gates were shut. Like, Luke is almost closing the door on this chapter of Paul's life, right? Jerusalem. He's about to, to leave Jerusalem in, in this sort of segment and head to Rome to share the gospel uh, there, and eventually he'll lose his life as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the gate is shut for the temple, but the Lord opens the gate to share the gospel uh, with these people. Uh, and so the, the Roman tribune is elected, uh, this guy and his soldiers, they carry Paul out of there. I actually I get this image, like they're almost like carrying him above their heads. It's like this like really dangerous mosh pit. I don't know if you've been in a mosh pit. Um, just like super amped up, super excited, uh, super angry. Uh, and they carry Paul out. Uh, and then they get him kind of to a place of safety, but then he stops them and says, hey, I, I want to address the crowd. And they're surprised because he addresses them in like perfect Greek. So clearly he's educated. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, but then it's even more surprising. He turns to the crowd and addresses them in uh, kind of the Hebrew language, Semitic language, uh, Aramaic. Uh, and what we see happen next is Paul begins to share his story, his testimony. Uh, and it's quite a, a fascinating testimony. I, I'm going to break it down into three parts for you today. Uh, it starts with who I was. Paul describes his background. Now, this gives him credibility, right? He's a Jew. He's, he's educated by a notable teacher, Gamaliel. Uh, we actually met him back in Acts. He was the guy that was like, you know, if you're warring against these people and if they're of God, then, you know, we don't want to war of God, we don't want to oppose God, right? Remember him? Like, he's a significant teacher who has authority in Jerusalem. And yet, Paul was also zealous, right? He was a religious zealot. He took his faith seriously. He was willing to persecute the earliest followers of the way. It's called the way after Jesus, who identified himself as the way, the truth, the life. Uh, and this was before they were called Christians. But he persecuted the believers of the way. I punished them. And in fact, the officials in Jerusalem wrote him like credentials. They gave him like a hunting permit uh, to go uh, and, and hunt down these, these Christians, right? He's like a bounty hunter almost in one sense. And so they sent him out. And the interesting thing is like, if you look at the timeline, the people that wrote him that letter could still be in Jerusalem. Like the high priest, the the, 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 the officials, they could still be in, they could be in the crowd, right? Condemning Paul. Paul says, here's my credentials. Like, I was a serious religious uh, follower of uh, Judaism. And yet God's going to do something. He's going to use that history, history and he's going to kind of turn it around. 
Maybe you think of your own life, and maybe that's you. Maybe you were, like, wholeheartedly committed to not following Jesus, to not being in relationship with God. You didn't believe in God, or you were just too lazy to think about God, or too guilty, too shame-filled to think about God. And so you ignored him in that part of your life. We all have some place that we've come from, and maybe some of us grew up Christian, right? Some of us grew up in the church, That's okay, too. That's good. God still kind of takes us from where we were to to where he wants us to be over time. And we can see, like, this gradual shift, this gradual change. And so as you think about about writing your testimony uh, on the way home from church today, in the back of the big van, that's where I was doing it, uh, you can think about, like, where has God taken me from? Like, if I were to look back, who would I see? I, I watched an interview uh, recently, I think uh, Carrie sent it to me, about uh, this, this, this pastor in a, a Muslim country in the Middle East. His name was Pastor X. That's not his real name. Man, isn't that a, like a cool identifier, Pastor X? You guys can call me Pastor R if you want. I don't know. Um, but he told the story of his wife coming to faith, because that's like a big part of why he became a pastor in the Middle East. Uh, she was a radical Muslim. She wore a burqa at the age of three. Uh, she started reading the Quran at the age of five. At the age of nine, she had memorized the Quran. At the age of 13, she was so in love with the God of Islam that, she took, that they took her out of school and put her in an, an Islamic fundamentalist school. And at the age of 17, she became an evangelist for Islam, which is like the religious police for it. But at the age of 23, her and her mom were listening to a Christian broadcast, and her mom called the pastor and the pastor led her to Christ. And she was like, what? <laughs> you talked for him for like 20 minutes. And then she talked to uh, the pastor for two hours, and he couldn't lead her to Christ. But he said, you know, like, what has your God done for you? Just give, give this Jesus a week. See if he does anything for you. Uh, and that night, God cured her mom of her MS. Like, just that night. Uh, and they went to the hospital to, like, get it checked out and uh, it was completely gone, and, uh, and the, the healthcare workers asked her, like, who did you pray to? And they said, Jesus. And then five health care workers came to Christ. <laughs> like, it's an amazing testimony, just how, like, God has taken her and transformed her. And, and the story continues, right? She's still committed uh, to Christ, and now they're serving uh, back where they came from. See, God can take anyone, right? No matter how radical, whether you're, you know, part of Islam, or maybe you're just like a radically good person, right? You you don't need God because you do things well. Like you're you don't sin, so you don't need Jesus. God can take you too. He can open your eyes to your sin, to your faults. We all sin, we all lie, we all deceive, we all live selfishly, and we all just need a savior, right? We need God to take us from where we've been and bring us to where he wants us to be, to look a little bit more like Jesus, to be in a life-giving relationship with the savior of the universe, Jesus Christ. So as you think about your story, think about your before. That's where it starts. We're going to get to the after. First, start with the before. Now, who I was, and then how Jesus is transforming me. And, like the, and the emphasis is on Jesus, right? How Jesus is transforming me. Not how I'm changing for Jesus, how Jesus is tra- changing me. Uh, 
Because that's what happens when we look at Paul's story, right? He tells uh, like how he went down to Damascus on the road. On the road again. He's going down to Damascus to persecute the Christians. And a bright light shines around him. He falls to the ground. And a loud voice calls out, Saul, Saul, that's his old name. Why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And then he repented and asked what he should do. God sent him away blind, but then Ananias comes and heals him. So there comes a moment in our lives where we need to, to recognize, and we, we do by like the power of the Holy Spirit, that we've actually been living in opposition to God. We've been doing things our way, and so we've been doing things our way, not God's way. There has to come a moment where, you know, we realize, Lord, Lord, I've, I've been opposing you, and I, and I don't want to oppose you. I want to walk with you. I, I want to know you. I want to go the way of Jesus. And Ananias, uh, let's see, in verse 20, 14 through 16, it said this, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Oh, man. That was Ananias speaking to Saul. This is the message that changed, changed him, right? He encountered the righteous one, <laughs> He encountered the only one who is righteous, Jesus. Now, Paul is speaking to his Jewish audience, so he's kind of choosing his words wisely, right? Some of these people probably had a hand in crucifying Jesus. So he's preaching to them about Christ, but he's kind of navigating a a delicate situation. He's trying to do his best. You're going to be my witness, Saul, you're going to be my witness, Paul. You're going to tell others about Jesus. Rise, be baptized. I think it's great that you guys are going to be baptized. And wash away your sins. Baptism is symbolic of the washing away of sins. It doesn't actually wash away your sins. The Holy Spirit does that. Christ does that. But it's symbolic, right? We, we do things that are symbolic in order to kind of demonstrate a spiritual reality. Paul's transformed you know, here's a guy who was murdering Christians. Like, that's pretty bad. <laughs> it's really bad. And Jesus just comes along and washes away his sins. And so maybe you're here thinking, you're like, man, I'm a bad person. I've done this, I've done that. I'm so ashamed. Jesus can wash away your sins. Just completely. <laughs> just dunk you in the blood of Christ. You are pure and holy. That's what Jesus can do, no matter how bad you've been or where you've been. Jesus can transform you, and he does it from the inside out. So often we think, like, oh, I got to, like, Paul's story is not one of, oh, I stopped persecuting the Christians, and then Jesus showed up to save me. Like, no, I was on the way to persecute and kill Christians, and Jesus revealed himself to me. So in the midst of our garbage, in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our disobedience, Jesus shows up to soften us, 
to heal us, to, to transform us. Maybe Pastor X seems a little removed from your life, and so today, I want to invite Mark up to share a little bit of his testimony, and I'll get us back on this time track. But Mark, come on up. Mark's going to share uh, just his coming to faith. What better way than to hear from someone about their testimony? All right. Good morning. So I, I, uh, I began hunting down Christians when I was 15. And, uh, okay. uh, I, was, uh, I had the fortune of being raised uh, in a Southern Baptist church, about 200, 300 people in uh, South Carolina, and uh, you know, steeped in church culture. Right? And uh, you know, my dad was there every time the doors opened. You know, he, was, uh, he was a deacon in the church, which in practice was kind of like a combination of the elder and deacon role here. Um, and so just uh, was at church every time the doors open for every event. Um, and, and, and so just kind of going through life in, in that mindset. But then one day my, my brother Stephen, um, you know, he pulled me aside into his room and he said, Mark, you know, are, are you going to heaven? I said, well, yeah, sure. He said, well, how do you know? And I was really struck by that. And I said, well, uh, uh, I, I go to church with you. I'm in the car next to you, right? We're fighting the whole way to church. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I read my Bible once a while. Uh, you know, I pray. And I'm a pretty good kid. I got straight A's last semester, right? Um, I said, is that enough? I said, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, I think so. And so my brother helped me see the gospel for the first time. Even though I was steeped in that culture, I didn't really understand and appreciate the gospel. He helped me see John 3.16, which I'd memorized years and years and years before, that it doesn't say because Mark went to church, because Mark read his Bible, because Mark did these things that God sent his son, but because he loved us. And it wasn't what I was doing. It's what God had done for me because of his great love. And so uh, that was one of two key turning points uh, in my life. And um, I'd like to say that it was a straight road from there on out, uh, but it was, a, it was a pivotal moment. But our, our church was really focused on outreach and evangelism, which are really, really important things, and not very much on discipleship especially discipleship for people my age. And so uh, I don't say that as an excuse because I certainly have responsibility and should have taken some initiative myself, but I definitely started drifting away when I got to high school. I started to look around and, and wanted to be accepted by the people that I thought were, were cool. And so I would be someone I wasn't trying to earn their favor and their appreciation. And I muddled through high school like that, and uh, never, never comfortable, never happy, never satisfied. Uh, I got to college and met a, a new group of friends who appreciated me for who I were, who I was. Uh, really fantastic guys, and um, but not believers. You know, our uh, our sanctuary was a bar. 
and uh, you know, uh, started led a life that focused on drinking and partying, objectifying women, but it felt comfortable. And so I continued in this, this pattern through college, into grad school, and uh, that's where I met, met Barry in grad school. And this is where our stories intersect, which is pretty cool. So if you haven't heard Barry's, then it's, uh, it's worthwhile. But um, Barry and I got to know each other in grad school and started dating, uh, and we had been dating for a while, and we are at a bar one night, and uh, you know, she, she asked the question, so what do you, what's important for you and a wife? It's like, I did not study for this test. <laughs> um, but as I, as I thought, you know, I, I kind of went back to what had been steeped in me, what I'd learned growing up, right? That it's important to be uh, married to another Christian. It's difficult to be a Christian in a relationship where you're, where you're not married to another Christian. Um, and so I told her, I was like, well, it's important for my, my wife to be a Christian. And she looked at me and said, why? And I was really really struck. That was the second pivotal moment. Because this person that I considered closest to me didn't realize being a Christian was important to me. So I was saying one thing, but living something completely different. And I was not comfortable with that uh, dichotomy. I was not comfortable with the fact that I professed one thing and lived a different way. And so that moment, that question, was a real turning point in, in my walk with Jesus. I don't think I went to church the next day, but it began a process of, of, of growth um, and, and transformation. Uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of damage that had to be undone, but God worked through that over time, and uh, he really seeded a, you know, my, my life verse, I think, uh, is, is Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He began a good work in me in that conversation with my brother. And he didn't give up on me. He still doesn't give up on me because I'm still not there yet. He's still working on me. I've still got room for growth and improvement. And uh, yeah, but just so grateful for those questions. So I encourage you to ask questions to one another because those can be some really profound moments. Thanks, Mark. I can think of some people in my own life that I should just ask. Do you know you'd go to heaven if you died? Like, a really powerful, straightforward question. So, you, like, Paul, uh, Mark just modeled uh, kind of how to share your testimony, right? Who I was, how Jesus is transforming me. And then I think there's, it's interesting when we see, like, God's love for all people at this, kind of the final stage of Paul's testimony. He keeps going, he says, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Jesus, like Paul saw Jesus. He said, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. This would be kind of offensive to the people that he's telling this to, right? Those people in Jerusalem. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away 
the Gentiles. That's as far as Paul gets in his testimony because he said the magic word Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he shall not be allowed to live. There's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of anti-Gentile belief among the Jewish community there. Right? To be non-Jewish was to be a, a pig. And to, to not know God, you were, you were kind of condemned. You were good for nothing. So it was hard for them to see like God's love. Right? God's love beyond them to others that were different than them, and looked different. And so as part of our testimonies, we can share like God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you, wants to know you, wants you to come to faith in him. He wants all peoples to be saved. But the, the crowd just can't get by it, right? Uh, and so I, I want to take kind of like three application points here and, and just break it down, and then I want to hear a little bit more from Mark, and then we'll, we'll close in song. But application one is this, that God is more loving and gracious than we can ever imagine. God is more loving and gracious than we can ever imagine. And I don't believe in universal atonement, right? It's a big theological word that means God saves everyone. Uh, but, uh, you know, it does say that... Uh, God doesn't want anyone to perish, right? First Peter 3, 9, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We see that in the story of Paul, right? He wants his Jer- Jerusalem brothers and sisters in Judaism to come to faith in Jesus. He also wants the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the people who are far from God, to come to faith in Christ too. And so as we think about those people that are near to us but far from God, Maybe Mark's testimony and Paul's testimony and Pastor X's testimony can all be encouragements to us. We might be surprised what God does if we're willing to step out in faith and share our testimony. I'm going to be praying about that this week. Application number two is just be prepared to share your story. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have. Uh, But do so with gentleness and respect. I think Paul shares his personal story as we call it an apologetic, a reason to believe. And when you share your story, you are giving people a reason to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to hear Vaishali and Jason's testimonies, right? It's a reason to believe. And then number three is trust the Holy Spirit to give you the right words. Luke 12, Jesus says this. He says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, something that's happening to Paul right now, Do not be anxious about how you shall defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And there's a little bit of a a paradox between number two and number three, right? Be prepared, (laughs) have a reason, have something to share, but then trust the Holy Spirit, right? Write it down, but then just trust the Holy Spirit to speak through you. And don't be surprised if God sends you out to share your story with others. Paul clearly, like, part of his testimony is being on mission for God, right? Part of his story is the story continues, right? Part of his story is that God wants him to go and share the love of God with others. And so, uh, I actually want to invite Mark back up to share the last little piece of his testimony uh, about God continuing on mission. And before we do that, I'm actually going to pray for Mark because I just wanted to pray for him. But then we'll invite him up and then the worship team will come up. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for Mark's story. Thank you for 
what you're doing in his life and how you put those people in his pathway to ask those really difficult questions. But it was just so amazing, Lord, that you have taken him and are transforming him. And we're excited to hear Barry's story at some point too, Lord. But would you just bless him, um, give him many more opportunities to share uh, with others and give us all opportunities to share with others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark, come on up and finish us out. All right, so, uh, so fast forward a number of years, uh, we finished grad school. Uh, we're actually living in Ohio at the time, wonderful Dayton, Ohio. Um, and uh, that's where Lucas is born. And, uh, you know, we realized when we were, had a small child, family was, was really important because Barry's family was in Connecticut and my family was in South Carolina. And so we called it the Devil's Triangle at holiday time because he would try to go to both, one at Thanksgiving, one at Christmas, and it was just, it was miserable. Um, and so we, uh, we, we were pretty discontent living there. And, uh, but it, you know, God taught me a unique lesson there that it's uh, uh, try to be content where you are because that's where God has you. And that's the best place for you to be until he moves you somewhere else. Um, so God, uh, God did move us to South Carolina, and I took a job with a fantastic company, uh, Michelin. Um, and Barry and I had one of those conversations of, you know, where do you want to, where do you see ourselves in five, ten years? And we just just moved into this house in Greenville. There are less than six months, I think. And uh, it was pretty amazing because God had laid on both of our hearts separately that he was calling us to New England. We're like, that doesn't make any sense, we just moved here. <laughs> I wanted to be a little more direct just to go straight to New England. We didn't know where or how or what it would look like. Um, but as, as, as we continued, you know, I felt, a, I felt a calling, or I thought I heard a calling to, to the pastorate. And so uh, I, I told my, my boss at Michelin, so you know what? I uh, love you guys. It's a great place to work, but I'm, I'm leaving to go to seminary. And so uh, he said, well, thanks for telling me. And they started to look for my, the person who would take my job. And so uh, they, they hired, the, hired that person. I started training them. And uh, in the meantime, in parallel, I'm applying to seminary and, and going through all that and trying to work out those plans. Um, and, you know, this was about 2009. So you remember what, 2009, for those of you who are alive, the economy wasn't the best. Uh, and, yeah, and so we were really relying on Barry getting a, a full-time job with benefits. Because in that interim time, Julia had been born. And Julia had a stroke when she was born and you know, required some pretty significant uh, medical support. And so I really wrestled with, we wrestled with this idea of, well, are we just not being faithful enough? Did we just step out? And uh, door after door kept closing for Barry to get a job. I kept you know, questioning God, saying, God, I thought this is what you wanted. I, this looks like a great thing, right? I, I want to get a seminary. I want to serve you. And it just wasn't working out. And then I'm thinking, well, what's going to happen at work? They've already hired my replacement. The economy is not good. Uh, thankfully, they kept me on. And uh, a couple of months later, 
we got uh, we got news that uh, a recommendation for Julia to have brain surgery, and uh, that was pretty significant. Right? And uh, there's no way that you know without benefits that we could have supported that. But Julia had gotten to a point where there were no medicines helping for her for her seizures. And it was uh, not, not a good place to be. And the surgery, though very significant, was the, was the best course of action for her. And so uh, clearly, you know, it's around this, this time where we said, okay, on to plan A. Right? We thought we had plan A in our mind, but clearly God had something different in view. Um, during this time, though, the, the, the desire and this, this uh, sense of calling to New England never, never disappeared. We just didn't know what it was going to look like, and so we said, okay, God, in your time, in your time. And so we started a, uh, leading some mission trips from our church in South Carolina up to Worcester. Um, and we said, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is what God meant. And... Uh, but I still was very pushy and said, okay, I'm not sure, God, that that's right. So I started applying for jobs in New England and, uh, and nothing. And, uh, and finally, I think Barry convinced me that it was probably time, well, if, you're, if you think seminary is still on the horizon, why don't you take some courses? And so I started taking some courses, and I didn't have time to look for a job anymore in New England. And... Uh, as I'm about to finish the first semester of, of courses in online seminary, I get a call from a headhunter looking for a position in Billerica, Massachusetts. And so it was God's timing, God's way. And, uh, you know, again, just seeing his hand at work, moving, you know, working through my faulty attempts, Barry's faulty, our faulty attempts to try to steer God where we thought he should go. He was faithful and did things the right way in his time and his way. And uh, it's been a blessing to be here. You know, it's amazing that we're in Westford, right? Because Barry's family, her mom grew up in Westford. And she came here as a kid multiple times a year to visit family. And so just amazing that Bill Ricca was that close to Westford and just the way God lined all of these things up. Uh, and then to come to Cornerstone, um, you know, we, we drove past several times, and we said, eh, I'm not so sure about that place. And we checked it out online, and we said, yeah, we're still not sure. But uh, we, we came and have uh, fallen in love with, with, with you and uh, what God's doing here, and are excited to be a part of it and still trying to, you know, to discern God's leading, the Holy Spirit's leading, because it's, he's not done, right? This is not the end of the story. And so we look forward to what he's going to do and just try to be in the moment listening to what he, what he has for us to do. Um, pray with me, if you would, please. Father God, I thank you that, uh, that we can have a story. Lord, I thank you that you love us each so much, Lord. Uh, that you care about us deeply, Lord. Uh, that you work in our lives to, to guide us, to steer us, Lord. Even in the midst of our failures, Lord. Even in the midst of 
our, our strong-headedness, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. I pray that you would give us each individually uh, a heart for you and an ear to listen and a heart to listen uh, to your leading in our lives, Lord. May we follow you clearly. In uh, Jesus' name, amen.